Welcome to episode 11 of the Strength Ratio Podcast. Still trying to figure out my own little catchy tone and, and, and jargon, but I haven't really solidified it yet. But we hope you've enjoyed our intro music that is half Jim Hype, half Planet Earth. Uh, we bought it and we're not really changing it, so uh, hopefully you enjoy it too. It's not going anywhere soon. But today's a big day as we bring together many aspects of strength and conditioning. This is largely a talk on programming for concurrent training, which you might find especially helpful with the Open coming up. Uh, but you also just might find helpful as a way to piece together the many topics that we've discussed over the past five or six episodes. I'm here with Eric Sobolisky, who we use a, a software we have to join a chat room, at least Sobo does, uh, as he's at a distance. And you log into a one website, and his username changes for each podcast. And only we can see it, but this week is his best. Uh, this week, his handle is Matt Froning. Um, Sobo, are you there? I am here. I am here. You have to give my handle out. Every week's a funny handle. <laughs> <laughs> some some are better than others. I like Matt Froning a lot. That one's really good. Um, and and uh, Kyle is here as well. You know, um, one of our athletes took a screenshot. They just released this twenty four hour uh, or uh, twenty four hours with Rich, like a day in the life with Rich. And there was just one piece that he did that was low intensity erging, some planks and some unilateral work. And our athlete joked uh, if Froning's receiving strength ratio programming. And the answer is no. He's just not training high intensity all the time. Uh, but Kyle's here as well. Kyle? Hello. That's it? That's it. All right. But we're going to kick it off with uh, our larger programming discussion. And, and from this, uh, you'll hopefully have good takeaways about creating a hierarchy of exercise selection and energy systems that will ultimately do two things, optimize performance, allowing all the pieces to come together at the same time. And in order to optimize performance of many fitness characteristics, we're going to have to, or at the same time, accomplish a lot of fatigue management. So this system that we'll refer to as the ABC system, which Sobo uh, has and have taken from the tier system that Joe Ken has and expanded upon it and, and also reflects how uh, we write programming. Uh, that's where we're going to start off uh, with. And, and Sobo is just going to give a little background into uh, why this system and not others and perhaps for him how it's evolved over time going from uh, a strength coach to now an exercise scientist who also writes programming for individuals. So, so if you just want to start us off with kind of your progression from where you've been writing programs to where you are now, that'd be great. So, you know, being all over, you kind of, we, as, as strength coaches, we, we pick and still from all sorts of people. So I know you mentioned Joe Ken. I mean, I, I was, you know, tutored under one of his disciples. And so I kind of started out with his and I use that kind of a team approach and, you know, I still, if I work with big, large groups, it's kind of how I start. And if anybody's not familiar with, with the tier system, um, the simplest form is you put exercises in tiers, tier one, two, three, and sometimes four. Sometimes there's like three A and three B, but you basically rank order 
exercises to what you want to do first. And those are the ones you always do first. And then tier twos, tier threes. So like your big tier ones are your squats, your deadlifts, your cleans, your, your bench presses, and then the variations of those. And then you have like your tier twos, which would be like high poles or, um, very, you know, some type of, of auxiliary work. And then your tier threes and fours are like bicep curls and skull crushers. So it gives you an idea of ranking them. And so, okay, so I started out with ranking exercises in form of tiers or priority levels, however you want to describe it. But then you also understand that a squat can be used as a high-intensity lift, and you can do a heavy weight, and you can do low reps. Or it can be used in, in CrossFit and other forms of almost a, a thing of fitness when you do high volume of squats, low weight. So you're not going to want to do if, – if you get stuck in a tier system and you want to do high volume of squats, you do that first. The rest of your workout may suffer. And so if you want to move a squat to a, a, a different priority, then the tiers kind of get mixed up. So my view was if you you – rank them in kind of order of intensity and of style of lift. And so your squats could be an A or it could be a B or a C, just depending on how you attack that. And the ABCs are for strength and conditioning. An A category is something that's high neurologically demanding and high structurally demanding of your body. So it requires a lot of force output and it will require a lot of stabilization and generating of force neurologically, your tendons, your ligaments, all that stuff they have to absorb and transmit that force. That would be a, a, a tier one, so or a, a not tier one, uh, a group A. So neurologically demanding, something like plyometrics or something very reactive to something very heavy like a, a, a heavy squat or something that's very taxing like a clean or a snatch or a clean and jerk that requires a high kind of moment of skill all that kind of involved your level your your group b's are uh still could be a bench still could be a clean but lighter but something a little less taxing on the body and probably a little bit more with reps and sets so getting away from heavy singles or doubles to maybe sets of five or six and then your 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 category c is something that is not as stress uh stressful neurologically on your muscles or tendon and ligaments stressful but something more metabolically stressful on your system like high volume so a, a drop set a set to failure something like that would be a category c so if you break it up in weightlifting that's kind of how it goes if you break it up in more of a cardiovascular cardiorespiratory cardio fitness type realm you're your category A's are going to be your high intensity. That's going to fatigue you. That's going to elevate your heart rate substantially. That's going to leave you wrecked. Um, and these range from high intensity interval sprints, um, destroying that phosphagen system. Or it could be an eight-minute all-out 2K on ERG. Hopefully, you're faster than an eight-minute. But it's it just depends on how intensity that is. So that could be um, a perceived exertion thing. And then you get into your category Bs, which are hard, but not quite as hard as your As. And then your Cs are your, your kind of your long, slow distance. So you can, there's, if they're not just plain strict categories. You can't just put everything in a group A or group B or group C. It's kind of fluid, but you could also start and say, all right, I'm going to do a group C today. And you program for it. And after you get done, you say, whoa, 
that was more like a group A or a group B because my 15-minute EMOM that I thought wouldn't be too bad ended up turning into a horrible workout and it just killed me and it went from a B to an A and now I have to recover. So the whole point of this model is when you are prioritizing, well, I can't talk, prioritizing and grouping lifts together, you don't want to just put all your A's right back to back or a bunch of A's together in a week. You want to give your body's time to relax. So if you sit, I hit an A leg day on Monday, you're not going to want to come back and hit more legs in an A category on Tuesday. You might want to do a C or you might want to give them a rest or you could hit two Bs and then a C and then an A. It just gives you a way to structure your, your micro cycles and your macro cycles so that you have optimal recovery and optimal adaptation. And it varies too. So you could think you have a B and it ends up being an A or you think you have an A and it was actually a B. But you, it just gives you a framework to program so that you don't do high-intensity intervals every day or high-intensity seven days a week and that you have some variation in your workout. So to so speak to back speak to our back very to our first period. episode, we created a pyramid in which the foundation of that pyramid was a plan. On top of that plan sat – or sorry, at the base of the pyramid was biomechanics. I got them switched. Above biomechanics was a periodized plan. Above the periodized plan was recovery. Now, barring – sound biomechanics and uh, this is just a touch if you're listening you know that we work um a lot with athletes who have had chronic pains who are rehabbing from surgery are looking to put off surgery altogether and, and we find that if we accept that an athlete and oftentimes the athletes who come to us have better mechanics than they think uh because they might be in pain. We just have to look at this ABC understanding and even just the simple idea that different exercises can elicit different neurological uh, and structural stressors that take more or less time to recover from. But we often find that when we look at the program that the athlete is following, who comes to us in pain. In fact, that's what we look at before we even do a movement assessment, that that's often where they're going wrong. So if you're listening to this podcast and you've been in pain, you might be seeing a massage therapist or a physical therapist or a chiropractor, and they're giving you this to-do work at home that might fall into this accessory, like low category C type stuff, uh, meaning that it's very low impact, there's low neurological stress, there's low uh, mechanical uh, stress, then if you're to continue doing that at home, but we look at your program and there are only A-type exercises, you will very likely not improve in, in, in your levels of, of pain. You just won't get healthier. So we've had athletes come to us who have said, we've been to many different specialists. I've been diagnosed with A, B, and C, and we don't diagnose anyone. We don't uh, pretend to know what we don't know because we're, we're not M, uh, MDs or chiros or PTs, but we do know how to program. And if that person's been doing high-stress uh, exercises exclusively, whether that's both strength and cardio or even just strength 
or cardio separately, the body's ultimately going to kick back. And if we have this type of structure and we have good biomechanics, then we're sitting in a really good position. The only other way that you're likely going to get injured is if your ego kicks in and you shoot for more than you ought to, uh, which is which sometimes happens. But we just need to make sure that we're starting with uh, the assumption that those who are listening have appropriate biomechanics because you can kind of write the the good program and and keep people engaged and have fun. If your mechanics aren't there, you need to learn those first. But where we're going to spend a lot of time today is just the structuring of it all, because that can really help you in the long run. Um, especially if you're looking for something a little bit more uh, in your performance, you don't want to follow a blog anymore. You really want to take it to the next level. Uh, this is when you grab a pen and paper and, and, and start taking note, because we do believe there'll be a, a lot of valuable information here. So what, I, what I'd like to talk about, uh, just to kind of kick this all off, is how we start writing a program. Uh, what is in mind? And in order to start the program, you have to know where you're going to end. So Sobo, if you have someone coming to you, or maybe Kyle, Sobo, you've already had uh, spoken, but Kyle, if you have someone who comes to you and their goal is to resolve pain and to compete in the CrossFit Open, well, how are you kind of sitting down with their program? What's the start and where's the end? Um, so they're, they're, they're in pain, but see, I didn't give any warning on this. Yeah. This the CrossFit totally... open, the CrossFit opens coming up. Yeah. Let's saying. say we're not as close. Let's say this was a couple four months, months ago. Um, well, the first thing as I was asking was I was look at the time frame that we have. Uh, and then as Zach said, I would look at what they were doing previously we would do uh, some assessment in terms of their biomechanics, uh, how those things look, uh, some of their strength and endurance numbers. And then from there, what I would kind of look at is, uh, you know, we use biofeedback a lot. So one of the first things I start with, and if someone's in pain, um, I know this isn't necessarily too much about programming here, but if someone's in pain, I would look at if with the biofeedback, um, if they're shortening at a much lighter weight than what they're used to. Uh, so they may have a, I don't know, 315 back squat and uh, they have no pain at 200 pounds. But uh, we find that with the range of motion test or the biofeedback test that they're shortening with 150 pounds, it just shows me that they were overstressing the system uh, and that's why things have not been able to recover. So if I see that, I'll bring them back down to those weights and then slowly, uh, more programming, I'd start them with a work capacity type cycle. So, um, so you may not be doing a, a lot of high neurological stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Things with the workouts might not feel too taxing, especially if the weight is relatively light to what they're, they're used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I would start with sets of, you know, anywhere from like 10 to 15, depending on, uh, if it's a, what you could see as an A type movement, even though it might not be an A in terms of uh, the physiology of it, mm -hmm. uh, starting there and then slowly building this work capacity back up. Uh, there's a lot of, of gray area here because you would have to kind of test and then check and reassess what bothered it, what didn't bother it, um, potentially what was just you're challenging the area to get to get better, but the next week it's, it's not there anymore. Uh, so really just starting with the work capacity cycle and then uh, moving, um, you know, kind of down 
in reps and sets as, as able, uh, if they're feeling good and taking deloads every three to four weeks, yeah. uh, reducing volume and, and intensity greatly by intensity, probably about 70% volume by 50%. And then starting new cycles, looking back at the old cycle, seeing what felt good, what didn't maybe what we missed. Um, yeah, I don't know what, it, what else do you want me to go well, into there? No. And if you're fortunate, they probably have, uh, well, it, in an ideal world, they have an array of ergometers. They might, well, they might have like a bike, a ski or a row. And one of those three will probably not elicit an increase in pain. And you can mm-hmm. get a good intensity response there without creating any like mechanical uh, issues or, or, or um, things that elicit an increase in pain. They get a good intensity response without having to do a Metcon type style. Mm-hmm. But as they feel uh, healthier, you can start perhaps mixing modalities a little bit more or, or involving things like AMRAPs and EMOMs, et cetera. Yeah. So there, there's this idea of for those who are in pain, you want to make sure that you're moving as comfortably as able, but that you uh, know your start point. So the biofeedback that Kyle mentioned, we uh, have it linked on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can uh, send us a direct message and we'll spit you back a video that will that'll guide you for, to, to more information as to, as for how to perform the test if you are in pain. But as Kyle mentioned, you, you start light, you add over time, both load intensity and comfortable ranges. Um, so that it still resembles an A, B and C you're still programming squats and deadlifts. It just might mm-hmm. be an abbreviated range or with less weight than they've done, but the ABC model still holds true, right? Yeah. Yeah. So a big thing and kind of the reason I wanted to flush that out is because the the way we program for those in pain is not too different than how we program for performance because there is still structure. There is still some degree, though not as much, of course, of overload that would then uh, lead to an anticipated deload. But you just have to carefully monitor uh, your training variables. Start low and build high. So often we joke that someone has an injury and they come back to their a sessions or their a exercises and they're back at like 90% of their max and then they get injured again. Well, it's just that repetitive gnarly cycle. So, um, you have the goal of resolving those pains. You want to make sure that they're not increasing pain, moving comfortably, but most importantly that they can still stay in the gym as long as you are not increasing pain and that you are making sure as their coach, they're moving with good biomechanics. So if we have someone who's healthy, you could probably get into things a little bit faster, um, especially with just a, a good needs analysis based on their previous data. So with the CrossFit Open coming up, if we have a new athlete coming in, well, we know we have this ABC model, but some kind of uh, assessment, whether that's a movement assessment or a numbers assessment or both is really going to help us figure out where we're going to get the most bang for our buck. So we might know that if uh, we need to hit a certain A session to elicit a specific neurological adaptation, or uh, we really want to hit the intensity hard with conditioning, we kind of know where to spend our time, especially if the duration is not long. We don't have a lot of time towards a specific goal. Well, we want to get as 
really uh, high priority for that individual as possible and as early as possible. But important thing is that when you sit down to write a program, it's good to know the framework that you're working with, what motivates that athlete and what they uh, are looking to get out of their program uh, before you just sit down and, and write what you've written for someone else. Um, so but when you sit down and write a program and, and you have kind of where to start and where to end, how do you then work through that evolution? Kyle explained, at least for someone in pain, this ramping up of intensities over time with scheduled deloads. Um, that's that's one form of plan within a, a, a periodized or, or let's say ABC model. Um, but when you think of getting from the start to the finish, what do you have in mind for in between? Is it more kind of frequent check-ins? Is it uh, writing out the plan largely in advance and then filling in or adjusting as needed? So what I do is whatever their goal is, I work backwards. So let's, you know, everybody wants to get stronger. So you say strength's my goal. So I know that they want to get stronger at a bench or a squat or a clean and jerk or something like that. So I start with the end goal there. And then I will use that main goal as kind of the tier or that, that, that category A. So we know we need to develop strength and it's going to be high neurological and high structurally demanding. So then I say, okay, I'm going to period, periodize my, my category A. So whatever that is, whatever's the demand. So let's say a, a, a squat. We want to improve my squat. We're a 250-pound squat or I want to squat 280. So I start there and I periodize my A categories all the way through. So of squat particular, if maybe you have two or three goals. So I periodize that as an A. So I say, okay, Monday is going to be my A for squat. Well, I know that if I'm squatting heavy in a periodized plan to eventually do, you know, overload, that I'm not going to be able to hit any heavy things on the legs, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday, because really this model allows for recovery of the exercise. So if you know you have an A for a leg on Monday, you should not have a, a leg, a high intensity leg again, at least until Wednesday, maybe even Thursday, depending on how demanding that is. So, okay, I say Wednesdays or Monday's my, my high intensity leg day for an A. If I want to hit two in a session, the earliest I can add it back in is Wednesday or Thursday. But then I got to understand if I do it, you know, Saturday, I'm going to, I don't have enough time. So you, I, I start by planning where my A's go. So, okay, my A's are Monday, Thursday. So then I figure out what, what can I do Tuesday and Wednesday. Well, if I do anything on Tuesday, it's got to be a B or a C category. So maybe some some lunges or some you know some deadlifts, some other type of auxiliary leg exercise that's not going to be totally detrimented from a heavy squat on Monday or Thursday. So then I I I put my A's in, and then I put my B's in and my C's in together, and so I form like a plan. So then I I have. For that specific given one, my A, B, C, or A, C, C, A, however I sp split it up. So I, I, I create the template for the week. And then I, I, I keep that template for the, well, you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks. So I know that A, Mondays and Thursdays will always be a hard leg day. So it just kind of gives the athlete an understanding that Mondays are going to be a hard leg day. So are, are Thursdays. 
and, and they know how to deal with it. If you keep switching it up, then you got to keep going. Okay, if I if I go from I want to go Fridays and Tuesdays now, one week's going to be this week where you're kind of off. So I like to keep structure when I put my A's in. But then if I switch to an upper body lift, my upper body A day might be Tuesday because my lower body A day on Monday is not going to affect it on Tuesday. But I can do a little bit of upper body on Monday. That's not good, like maybe a C category on Monday, but still hit, you know, a heavy push press on Tuesday. So you kind of just slowly kind of figure out where they go by prioritizing your goal and then kind of filling in the pieces from then on out. So then you do that with your strength. You can do the same thing with, with your cardio. You know, what are you good at? What do you want to improve? What can you do? So start backwards and then put the big pieces in and then fill in with the little ones is how I, I attack a program. So I guess uh, something I was just thinking of is, you know, you kind of have, there's this ABC approach on a um, meso or macro cycle level in terms of like, um, you could look at it like a three month block or like the four weeks, but then there's also the micro cycle level of an ABC. Does that, does that make sense mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So yeah, so like you could have where across a whole like couple macros, the intensity might be going up. So you could look at that as like the A increasing, uh, whereas in the beginning it might be more BC. You could look at it like a um, on the uh, mesocycle level. So like four weeks, you may see uh, things starting a little lower in terms of like effort. So many times we start like three to four reps in failure. Uh, for more, let's say for just doing hypertrophy, working towards that one to two from failure. And then you could also look at it like how Sobo was just talking about it across the microcycle where you're looking more about how these A, Bs, and Cs all interact in terms of Monday you might have the A squat. Um, if you're splitting stuff up into more of like an upper-lower type split, you might do like an A squat, uh, B, the lunges, and then C could be like your light, uh, hamstrings. So it could be like, I don't know, like a, a flat back hip extensions, which doesn't vary. Like it hits the hamstrings, but not like it's not going to super fatigue them. And then on Thursday, you might do your A hinge and a B hinge, but then a very light quad session uh, because that's like your C quads. Um, so does that, does that make sense to you guys? Am I yeah. uh, saying that? I, I think that within these these structures of monitoring fatigue because if you monitor fatigue um right if if you're feeling sore all the time you're doing something wrong Mm -hmm. um it could be that you're just in too big a deficit because even if you're cutting the program should be adjusted as needed but unless you're in a huge caloric deficit and you're getting next to no sleep, that soreness should really only kick in unless you're nearing a competition or you've introduced novel exercises. So this whole live sore thinking is really just not effective. It it just leads to reduced performance and increases the likelihood of injury. So to know that you have this model of uh, higher priorities of that which elicits more fatigue, which means you're going to naturally do less of it throughout the week. You also want to consider that with in each respective category, 
and probably more so for that, which is more neurologically or mechanically challenging, that it should get harder over time. Because eventually, if you just cap out your intensity and volume uh, at a specific, uh, with a specific exercise, you're going to have nowhere to go. So when we look at programming, uh, and the program that we admire is that which is uh, allowing the athlete to either increase in volume or in load over time, and that which considers the frequency with which you'd perform as we're describing an A, B, or C. And just to be a little bit clearer about these Bs or Cs, you you can think on a strength level, uh, like Sobo said, you have like your main uh, axillary exercises and the Cs would be, you know, like if, if you didn't have time for them, it wouldn't be the end of the world, right? They're, they're still uh, good to have in there. Uh, they might not involve all, of, let's say, like for instance, hitting the biceps if your goal is to uh, improve in the CrossFit Open. That might not be essential, but is getting bicep training in while the rest of your CrossFit programming good and good for your health of your elbows and your shoulders? Well, probably, but if you didn't have it in there, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, so just to kind of make sure that you're clear on what the BC is or or if, even if as you write your program, just from highest priority to low. So, but would you say that um, the ABC is a mix between uh, the effort, so the perceived effort, if you were looking at like an RPE scale, uh, the actual volume and intensity, so sets, reps, and then like percentage of 1RM, uh, and then also um, some of the physiological things you were talking about. Is it kind of like a mix of all those three together, which you take one away or add, add one in there? Yeah, I mean, you got to take all of them into consideration when you put it in a category. So, I mean, just like we talked about, you could put a quad dominant, like a front squat and make it a C category if you do it super light and it's easy, you know? So, it, it can't. it's not just exercise specific and it's just not, you know, reps and sets and intensity specific. You got to look at it as a whole to categorize it, which I think is kind of a holistic look at what the lift actually does to your body. Yeah. Cause I don't like one thing, um, I started doing is I'm in more of a, uh, work capacity, uh, focusing a little bit more on conditioning type block. And on Monday I had, uh, back squats and I did aerodyne sprints, but my back squats were three to four reps from failure. Uh, so they felt fairly easy, weren't too hard. And then I actually did, um, two by 25 calorie sprints on the air dine. And those like put me on the floor after. Um, so that is a example of like where you could see those from a movement standpoint as two A's because a back squat in terms of exercise selection would typically be seen as an A let's say, mm -hmm. but because of the rep sets and then the RPE of the actual lift, I categorized it as more of a BC where my sprints um, were very high power output and I categorized those as an A. Um, and then for example, <clears throat> I think Sobo mentioned this earlier, where uh, you know we've been talking about the creatine phosphate, the anaerobic glycolysis and the oxidative system, just because a 2K row would be oxidative, if you were doing a max 2K for time, that would be categorized as A, even though if you were just to think about 
the systems matching up ABC, where A being creatine phosphate, B being AG, and C being oxidative, you would think about that as an as, as a C, but it's not really a C because of the perceived effort of, yeah. of the lift or and, of the of the uh, session. And you have to get, or you have to allow for. <laughs> And what Kyle's explaining his own, where his own interests kind of how they sway and what's going to keep him motivated. So all it took was having our, our CrossFit athletes uh, <laughs> come to town for him to ramp up his, his cardio, which is why he, while wanting to maintain his squat, he now has the squat at three to four from failure, uh, not pushing it as aggressively, but he's ramping up the cardio as his, as his part a, but this is, this is week one. So a, a cross weeks and so maybe you could talk about this a little too is like if a cross week so in that third week if we if we look at this more from a uh you start uh week one is relatively easy you're building up across weeks harder and harder until um you kind of reduce volume intensity again um what happens if across weeks things like this may be turned for me into like an a and an a but if it's that's in the final week is that now like a really a really bad thing or is that okay because it's like the final week before i come back down a little bit i mean it depends on what your a and a is in and whether you can recover from it so i mean if you're doing an a leg day on monday and then again on a leg a Monday, you know another leg monday or well, a leg a, <laughs> a on tuesday yeah. then you might not recover mm-hmm. and hopefully yeah if you have a deload week the following week, you have time to recover from it. But if you were continuing to train, you know, you might want to reassess your programming. But a leg, an A day for squats, and then the next day being a leg day or an A day for running might not be as detrimental if it wasn't just if it's cardio intense A versus a weightlifting intense A. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. And I think it's worth pointing out that if if you have these structures built into your year and you're a CrossFit athlete who's monitoring what's working, what's not, because you might find that in order for adaptations, you may need to squat three days a week where someone else might have to squat once. Um, Even when you're considering all else that's going on in the week, um, we all might respond differently to different exercises and just different frequencies of particular intensities. But if you've kept notes, and we've never really mentioned this yet, but it is very important to keep not just the results of your workouts, because without that, it's going to be all but impossible to progress Mm -hmm. uh, on a multiple month or yearly cycle. You're just, I mean, you might increase your work capacity over time. Uh, You might not, you might forget what you've done, uh, especially if you take some time away. But not only is it important to keep track of the results, it's also to keep track of those more qualitative uh, um, observations. Uh, what went well, what didn't go well, to have time for a reflection period so that you can improve upon that in the next cycle. Because if you are doing these things and taking care of what needs the most attention, like we've mentioned in the past, it's not that you triple or quadruple down on it. You just make sure that you don't miss out on it throughout the year so that by the time the open comes around, let's say, it's not like you're cramming for finals. Instead, you've been studying a little bit all throughout the year. 
Oh, all right. Analogy coming here. Yeah. And, 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 and so as, as the professor appreciates yeah. that. And that's how I, I, I used to, during finals week, I would sit at, so Sobo had this apartment at Chapel Hill. I would sit outside by the pool during finals week while everyone else was cramming. Oh, so you're Sobo's I was, uh, pool boy. I wasn't Sobo's pool boy. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have I, a pool. I, yes, you did. At you didn't have a personal apartment? pool. You yeah, didn't have a personal I, pool, but you had a pool at your apartment complex. I never had a pool in my apartment complex. You're stalking the wrong person here. <laughs> no, no, no. You did. So Zach was uh, going to someone who looked like Sobo for yeah, years. Yeah, I, I lived in. I lived in a hood. I lived in like a, a <laughs> beat up old apartment in the basement of a crack house. <laughs> oh jeez. All right. Anyway, getting back. So getting well, back. I, while while people were were cramming for finals, I've been doing a little bit. So Third. when finals time came, I'd chill out by the pool, and because there weren't classes during finals week. It, it was my time to kind of like taper before the exam. So that's what, you know, the nerd CrossFitter would do is they would just keep up on the stuff they need to do uh, and make sure that they don't triple or quadruple down on one <laughs> particular exercise or uh, intensity level so as to make up quote unquote lost ground. Because at some point there has to come to, you have to come to terms with what can you improve in a realistic timeline versus okay, have I actually been putting in the work yeah. needed throughout the whole year? And then having the confidence to go into your event knowing you can execute because if you go into your event feeling crushed because you've tripled and quadrupled down, I feel like that's being generous. Sometimes mm. people like 5X or 10X the things they feel they need to work well, on. And, so and Sobo's example, they would do a thousand muscle-ups in one the, session. Yeah, a million <laughs> muscle-ups in one session. But they, they feel they have to radically change things before the event and then they go into the event and they get – we see this with people in the open. They just get sick, like very sick because they, they've been doing the open basically for five weeks prior to the open. And then by the time the open comes, there's nothing left. So w- one thing I wanted to touch on uh, real quick is Sobo mentioned, you know, I was saying so, like, but you had a, there was a there was a pool in your apartment complex. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I yeah, what I was gonna say was, you know, I was saying how maybe by the third or fourth week, it may start because I might be like one to two from failure. And what I mean there is the first week uh, I had set three by eight, three by three to four failure. But what I ended doing was eight eight seven because I felt uh, got a little too close there. Uh, but and the and, and the last week one to two from failure or one from failure I might push a little harder so it might turn into um, maybe potentially two A's and then Soba mentioned oh well if you can recover across weeks that's maybe all right and Zach uh, echoed the importance of tracking um, what would be a good thing there would be is if I know the week prior I got uh, eight 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 seven but then this week and my times in the Airdyne sprint improved or were consistent from the week before with maybe an extra set uh, added on. And then the third week, I saw that I got eight, six, five, five, four for my last five by eight and my performance times in the assault bike decreased. I would know that I did not recover across weeks. Uh, But if I were still able to hit now this five by eight in the final week and all my times for the assault bike increased, okay, okay, that was okay to pair that together. I was able to recover across weeks. And I did get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think another just quick thing to mention is I heard this uh, uh, said this week, um, which I think people tend to forget, is that if you've written a program, whether it be 
like a four week mesocycle or a 12 week uh, training block that if it works, you don't always have to change it all. I think people, no, you can repeat it. You can repeat it uh, and get the same progress many mm-hmm. times in a row. So not changing every four weeks, uh, even though you are following somewhat of a periodized plan, but truly trying to eke out all the gains possible there. I think like that, that theme of sticking with something without too much variety, even for a CrossFitter mm-hmm. is very helpful. So if you know you have to work on kipping chest to bar, well, maybe you run an EMOM where the EMOM stays the same. You increase volume over mm-hmm. time and increase reps per set as long as you can maintain certain intensity characteristics and, and, and uh, yeah. technique. Yeah. Uh, so but do you, we talked about this a little bit before the, the podcast. Can you, you know, in our last conditioning examples, we gave a lot of single modality um, and how you would progress those across weeks. Can you talk about kind of like uh, single versus mixed modality and how you may actually, um, instead of, you know, switch like your Metcon or your conditioning every week because you need to keep it constantly varied, how you may actually keep the Metcons the same and either try to do them faster or make them a little longer for conditioning? So, yes, when, when speaking about Metcons, you don't have to, you know, vary them as far as like a new one every week. You can try to improve on it because if you're constantly varying it, you never know what you're capable to do under te- uh, under fatigue. So if you're doing a Metcon that involves, you know, a 500-meter row and uh, chest-to-bar pull-ups and burpees and you have a it's a you know emom or whatever you're doing and you got to do or not probably not emom with a 500 meter row but you have like a 20 minute amrap and if you just do that once you have put that stimulus in your body and your body has started to adapt to it but it really hasn't made any substantial changes but then if you do it two or three weeks in a row and you get three rounds the first time and you get three rounds and 250 calories a second time. And then, so by the third time you understand with those three modalities and in, in each one of those modalities under fatigue, what you're capable of doing. So I know that if I got to do chest to bars and I've done a lot of cardio. I'm only going to be able to string seven together or 10 together. And so now you know that even though you might do chest to bars with completely other different modalities and a competition, you know, that under fatigue your chest of bars are seven and if you know if you've progressed through you know that maybe week three or four you could string together eight or nine and now you've improved on that but if you've never done that model more than just once you don't understand your adaptations and what you're capable of doing to give yourself a good gauge for other forms of of big metcons and and you know someone might hear that and say well at least for a crossfitter you never know what's going to come out or you never know what it could be. It's like, well, you actually do. You can create the whole list of the exercises that we've seen and that you can very likely expect. And then you can look at your results from previous years. I think people sometimes have a hard time being honest with their scores from previous years because uh, the, rea- I mean, the reality is there's going to be workouts that even the top dogs don't uh-huh. kill. That's, that's the whole point of CrossFit is not to be the best in any one particular, but to consistently place well. So that if you find the scores or past open workouts that you didn't place well in, well, you can run these workouts multiple times or 
add uh, different levels to them or, or uh, advance into different uh, phases of the workout if they're if meaning like if you complete x amount of reps it, it extends so that you learn a lot about your like sobo said your uh, reps per set under fatigue you learn a lot about pacing and you can actually have uh, noticeable and, and physiological uh, adaptations to these workouts um, one of our, our athletes mentioned recently how he felt like his understanding of pacing has improved so much because we're not super quick to just quickly hit the shuffle button mm -hmm. uh, on the exercise selection, which for a CrossFit athlete is hugely important. Uh, so many people spend time analyzing and breaking down workouts uh, for how to time them and pace them, but it's much easier to just reference on your own your own pacing through mm. your own practice than someone else's recommendations for what say maybe a games athlete ought to do. Yeah. And, and there's so many progressions for, I mean, oh, to, to, keep it, it, to keep it uh, involved and, yeah. and, and, and like I mean, engaging for, for a 20 minute, let's say Sobo gave the 20 minute AMRAP example. Uh, you could choose to get a better time each week. You could, if you did let's say 500 meters and, and, and 10 cleans, you could make it, uh, 600 meters and 15 cleans and try to get the same amount of rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 you could add weight to the bar. Uh, there's just so many ways you could do it without having to change it up each week. That would give you a really good sense of one. Yes, I got fitter each week. Uh, and uh, yes, I know that if I were to go back to the original thing, I could go even faster. Mm -hmm. Well, basically what you're saying is that you would change the variables up enough so that it's getting harder over time because yeah. you're challenging it yeah. uh, more and more. It's not beat down from the beginning. I mean, I think you could look at it in terms of if you just see like a, a strength example of, uh, let's say you're doing four weeks, you go two by 10, three by 10, four by 10, five by 10, something like that. Mm -hmm. You could, for conditioning, do a 12 minute EMOM, 14 minute EMOM, 16 minute EMOM, where the weight is increasing slightly and mm -hmm. the volume is increasing with the minutes the same thing could be for an amrap you could do a 20 minute amrap and then make it 25 minutes with all the same movements yeah uh, because i mean that's how in, in single modality you would progress it as well for but, sure but trying to hold like for, for that for the amrap amrap example you would say what was my pace for that 20 now let's hold this for the 25 mm -hmm. or maybe slightly faster not not much faster but slightly faster but now I'm trying to go an extra five minutes. Yep. Um, and that's how you would see the progression. And, and instead of mixing it up all the time, you don't know when you mix it up all the time, if you're actually getting fitter, if you're actually improving, there's like no, there's no progression that can really be seen there until you randomly decide to repeat a workout that you did yeah, and, a while ago. And you don't have to go totally out of the hopper and you shouldn't, right? Like you, you have the mm -hmm. data from past open workouts, you know, okay, well, a pull-up's always been with either a squat, a thrust or an overhead squat. Um, sorry, a snatch, a thruster or an overhead squat. So then you, you, you can pair those together. You know, that deadlifts, uh, have been with box jumps almost always. Um, you begin to pair these together in ways that are preparing you for this exam, so to speak, the best you can. Um, it's kind of like when you take, I'm going to go back to this, taking a test. When you take a, a practice test for a standardized test, you don't go back 
and do practice problems from all the answers you got right. If you're mm. effective in this, you're going to go over the, the parts of the exam that you either didn't understand or, or, or didn't do well at. And then you're just going to get better and better and better at that. Uh, you know, unlike with studying, we, we can run into doing too well. I know with studying, you can do too much, but with exercise, we can do too much to where it, it brings us back. It, 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 it uh, has us lose fitness or, or uh, overdo it to where we're, hurting and not recovering. But basically what we're describing here is find what you have to work on and keep working those same things until you've noticed improvement. And if you're running the same 20 minute EMOM and changing the variables slightly, uh, if you're uh, gradually increasing reps uh, per EMOM or total duration per EMOM, et cetera, you can see that progress and, and take confidence in the fact that you're probably getting fitter. A lot of times CrossFitters will say, well, we just don't know if we're getting better. Like we need to know these times or what, what other people got, but uh, that might not always be the best way to gauge your progress throughout the year. So I know, um, so in, in lifting some common like progression numbers is you know, usually like in terms of intensity, maybe like five to 10% or a set per week or something like that. Is it similar uh, in conditioning? Uh it depends on the modality and kind of what you're doing. I mean, you think if you can string together a little bit more, like say we're doing chest to bar, if you went from doing eight in a row to 10 in a row, I mean, or one in a row could be a substantial increase. Mm -hmm. And in, in dropping your split down on a rower, you know, one second is a substantial, you know, drop as well. So I would look at the progression or, or kind of getting better as a whole and it's you know specific to each modality but running are you running faster um can you run that same thing at a lower a lower perceived exertion but maintain the same time so you kind of know you know you think about track triplets or you know back when they were in carson running the berm over the stadium could you run the stadium berm at the same speed but have less you know exhaustion after you do it so the way, I mean, it's, it's a whole lot more subjective when we talk about cardio, unless you're doing pure, you know, miles or time or, you know, distance, whatever you're looking at. So it's a little bit more subjective as far as like, okay, I just, I just did a 500 meter piece and I did it at, you know, a, you know, a two minute split and I come back and I do it again at, you know, a 150. Well, did I go harder in that 150? Well, I went about the same as I did three weeks ago at the 200, but I was faster. Well, then you got better. I mean, cause you can always with cardio, you could always go beyond that red line and get a better number. But is that truly indicative of your training and what you did previous, you know? Yeah. Is that where things like, um, uh, we talked about this a little last week, but like heart rate could come in play where you're saying like, okay, I'm going to stay in this heart rate zone and run five miles let's say or or do this workout um it took me this long while staying in this zone uh but now let's say eight weeks later later i'm going to do the same training zone for the heart rate but now i see that i was able to stay in that zone but get like i was able to go faster uh that would be like a really easy way to see that improvement there right yeah i mean if you have access to a heart rate monitor and you use it substantially that's an easy way to to judge it besides perceived exertion. 
Yeah. Can, can you just talk about, I know there's been a lot of research uh, on this recently in, in lifting, but kind of the efficacy of perceived exertion in terms of people rating it for conditioning? The it, well, It's all about being honest with yourself too. So rate of perceived exertion is actually a really highly powerful number if the people or you that you're getting the, the data from are accountable and honest. You know, so if you honestly rate a workout or a conditioning session and you say it's hard if you're journaling or something and you put down that was really hard, you know, then it's actually rate of perceived exertion is good. But if you're not familiar with yourself, you know, if you've worked out once and you've gone to lactic threshold and you've, you know, killed yourself once, you might say it's the hardest workout you've ever done. And then you come back in three weeks and say, oh, that wasn't that hard at all. I'm 10 times better than I was. Well, was that first day really that horrible? That day, you know, 30s, that much easier. So, so in general, progression is just a little bit harder with, with conditioning. Or yeah, maybe not unless, you're, unless you're doing it miles in a pool or, you know, wattage, unless you have a pure metric that you have, you know, with running or cycling. Yeah. Or, unless you have a pure metric like that, then it's a little harder, especially with Metcons to do it. And that's that's kind of where the difference between single versus mixed modality comes in. It's much easier single, much harder mixed, um, but you still can do it. Yeah, especially when the mix is f- for competitive purposes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's any, um, you know, a lot of people have talked about this, uh, uh, many different coaches. Some of them are kind of like in the camp of you should be to develop your endurance or conditioning. You should do uh, a lot more single than mixed. Um, and then you might try to convert, uh, let's know if convert's the right word here, but transition that into mixed as uh, the year progresses. So that'd be kind of like the example of going from less specific to more specific. But then there's some people that say, no, you need to be doing uh, mixed pretty much all the time, less single, because that's not what like, for example, CrossFit looks like. What, what would some of your thoughts be there, Soba? My thought would be you, you can do both. I mean, who says you can't, you know, do a, a Metcon involving high-intensity 500-meter pieces of rowing on a Monday and then do an easy, you know, erg on a Thursday or Friday? Yeah. For some – some. I mean, I, you don't – I would – if I was going to mix them, I wouldn't have a high-intensity erg and a Metcon on a Monday and then a high-intensity erg that week. But you could you could do a, you know, a Category C erg sometime – the rest of the week to get that single modality endurance built up. So you could do both just a little, a little harder for programming, a little bit more kind of, you know, insight into how you're going to load it up, but most definitely you can do both. So you, you mean, you're not going to get really great at rowing unless you're actually just rowing. But if you're, if your sport's not rowing, you still need to be able to row and do other stuff. So you got to kind of do both. And how much do you think of it as uh, I don't know if this if this question either of you can answer this or if it can even be answered, but uh, people sometimes focusing too much on, especially for this where it's mixed, and we're trying to explain this ABC model, getting too worried in the details of it versus um, you on just the really, programming side and the programming side versus you just have to follow like these basic I don't want to say basic but these principles in terms of how things are structured. You'll get I don't know ninety or ninety five percent of the results that you want. Uh, mm-hmm. but the extra like couple percentages may be more of the details. Like how much do you think, is it really 90% or is it more like, yeah, you really do need to have, uh, some 
more focus here? I mean, the focus should be what your goal is, but the the whole point of the ABC model is so you can, you know, recover and sustain, you know, your training load throughout it all. So you have to look at it kind of what can I do far as my macro training load? But I mean, do we get stuck in the minutia where we're, we're, we know, worried about our sixth set of five or whatever? No, but as long as you got an A in that day that you're supposed to get an A in, I mean, you should be pretty well off to hit the gains that you want. I mean, we all have huge variability as a person from day to day. So you're supposed to hit 85% today. Some days, 82% could feel like 92%. So it just depends. Don't get lost in the trees and, you know, within the forest or however the old saying goes. So I think to wrap this up, so I'd like to bring in something that we haven't spoken a ton about yet, but it inevitably becomes a very big part of uh, certainly of coaching, but also um, makes its way into programming is how, and we've mentioned that if we have this pyramid where foundational biomechanics are at the bottom, uh, a, a periodized plan above that with recovery above that still, uh, and imagine the pyramid being surrounded by uh, aspects uh, involving uh, motivation and accountability and support. Are there any things that come to your head, maybe stories or considerations or tricks you've used to help people overcome certain psychological aspects of their training? Perhaps it's something that's just naturally very hard or something that they've struggled with um, that is in a level A, but they're just getting frustrated with. Um, how, how do you begin to, to address that with, with the athlete through their programming outside of just like providing your support? So my, my biggest, um, thing that I've dealt with is probably people. And this is, this is with athletes, you know, college athletes, as well as probably CrossFit athletes. And the fact that when they leave the weight room, they want to feel like they've been gassed, right? They want to feel beat up. So they want to, they always want to hit some high A's, right? Uh-huh. So my way around that is it's kind of a trick is if you really want them to feel like, man, I'm fatigued or I got a, 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 a tough workout in a day, you know, you hit your A and they want to just, you know, keep doing A's all day. I want to do front squats. I want to do cleans. I want to do deadlifts. I want to do a heavy bench, you know, and you're like, we, you know, we can't do that. If we do all three of those on a, or all four of those on a Monday, what are we going to do on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Yeah. So what I like to do is I like to, if we have a nice model where, you know, you're doing a heavy double on a front squat and then you're done, you know, your athlete's going to feel like, man, I didn't do anything today. Well, then I try to hit that, that mental stimulus or like a mental fatigue or a, a, a feeling of I'm fatigued or I've worked with a category C exercise. Right. And I always like, we, we a couple of my others, uh, coaching buddies, we call them like finishers, right? Something that I can do that to make them feel that they're fried out or burnt that's actually not going to substantially hurt them the next two days so if it's a friday gun show and we just do curls to failure i mean you might be sore for a few days but they feel like they got to work out in or you make them do an all-out 500 meter on the erg that's a minute and 30 minute 30 to two minutes of work going hard they're done they're exhausted they're breathing heavy they really didn't do a whole lot of work 
but it gives them that feeling of, man, I got, I got work today. So that's kind of, you know, these, these athletes that always want to, to burn, to feel more, to feel fatigue, you got to kind of trick them to think they're fatigued sometimes um, without actually, you know, just completely wrecking them. Cause you can just keep piling the weight on them and it may work for two or three weeks. It may work for a month. And then eventually they're going to just drop out or hit, hit a stalemate or be constantly sore. So you can trick them to feeling fatigued or burnt without actually, you know, fatiguing them or burning them out for a substantial amount of time. And I, you know, I think it's interesting how much even just simple phrasing uh, in your programming can, can make a difference too. Um, whether it's having, and this has happened with one of my athletes, having them rest a certain time between sets or saying that the working sets were on intervals, like in every 90 seconds or every two minutes. It, it was like more on common ground for them to be doing uh, EMOM work or every 90 seconds or every two minutes based on their CrossFit experience versus traditional sets and reps that a bodybuilder might have. It, it sounds silly, but these things might come up where you have to uh, accommodate your athletes so as to keep them uh, involved. Even if you're not changing up that much, changing up the language may help too. So hopefully today we've given a better, uh, we've given better insight into what makes a plan successful, uh, how easily it can all come apart if the pieces aren't balanced correctly, how if you have pain before you consider what modalities you might want to pick up or what mobility and recovery tools to purchase, you can perhaps look back at your program and see how you can better it in the future to allow for a program that considers your recovery, not just for the next session, but for the next week and for the next month. And that when you sit down to write a program or you look at your own, you have an idea of where you want to get to, and you're not just randomly assigning things by the day. You have a plan for how to get there with these priority A pieces that we've discussed. Perhaps there's a more focused plan. And with the B's and C's, that which is less fatiguing or perhaps less specific even, maybe that you're not as set on. But at the end of the day, there is a plan to get you towards that goal that allows you to improve in performance and allows you to recover uh, from session to session. Any final thoughts, you guys? Uh, I don't I don't have anything. That was great, that. great summation. All right. Well, I think I'm getting better at the 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 summaries one but, day one day we'll get some better jokes in there too yeah <laughs> well you know i so many people say that they skip past the rambling but then i speak to another group of people and they say they love rambling but uh, let us know your feedback is always welcome uh, and we'll hopefully have you here to tune in for episode 12 next week thanks guys see you guys adios <laughs>